text for this morning's message comes from uh, Luke chapter 16. I'll begin reading at verse 1, invite you to read along with me. Your Bible, your app, or the text will be up on the screen as well. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what, what is this that I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. And the manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it, oh, let's make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Bible is full of interesting characters. And the stories of Jesus give us some interestinger ones. And certainly this, uh, this story about the shrewd manager or the dishonest steward can leave us scratching our heads, wondering just exactly what's going on here. We don't know. We don't know if this manager was dishonest or irresponsible or, or simply incompetent. But his shortcomings are about to be exposed. Someone has told his master Man, this guy's not doing you right. The master calls him in and he realizes he's about to be given the pink slip. His eyes suddenly are wide open because he knows that he's not cut out for manual labor. 
and he's too proud to beg. But what's he going to do? He's about to lose the life to which he's grown accustomed. So he develops a scheme. Now the interesting thing here is that the plan that he develops isn't... um, He doesn't go to work to try to make up what he's lost for his master. No, his plan is to come up with a soft landing for himself. You know, I don't know about you, but every day when I read of hackers who have gone to work on the internet making life more difficult for the rest of us, Um, Those who expend a great deal of time and energy and smarts just to make life more difficult for others or to make a quick buck off of someone else's trusting instincts. And, And I think, why can't they just put all that time and energy to work for something good? Who knows? what they could accomplish, who knows how much better off all of us could be. And I I look at this guy and I find myself thinking the same thing. If he had been working as hard for his master, if he had been putting this much time and energy and skill to work all along, he wouldn't have had to worry about losing his job. He probably would have gotten promoted. But instead, as he finds himself about to be put out on the street, he develops an idea so that when he is put out and he does run out of money, he'll have friends who'll owe him something. They'll owe him a favor. And maybe they'll at least take him in. So he calls all, calls in all of the people that owe his master money. And he deals with them individually. How much do you owe my master? And when they tell him, he says, quickly, <coughs> let's get out the bill. Let's rewrite it. You owe him a, a thousand. Let's make it 850. Now sign this. He's destroyed all the evidence of the original bill. And now he's made this agreement on the side that his master would be obligated to honor. And the person now is, no, is, is in less debt to his master, but more importantly, is now in debt to him. And Jesus says, if unfaithful servants like this guy can be so shrewd and resourceful, why can't Faithful folks be as enterprising with their opportunities to do good. Why can't faithful people be as faithful and enterprising in doing good? I I don't think here Jesus is offering any encouragement towards dishonesty or taking business shortcuts. He's offering us an example of somebody who's 
really not up to much good, but who's working hard at it and, and says, how much more can we as people of faith be able to do? Offers us three good words about trustworthiness. Those who are, true, who are proven trustworthy in little things will find themselves being given opportunities to be trustworthy with much. That's a, a simple concept about life, isn't it? We do that with our children as they grow. We give them small tasks as they learn to take on and handle those responsibilities. We entrust them with greater responsibilities. When our middle son Thomas turned 16 and we went through that traumatic experience that parents of teenagers do, he got his driver's license. And uh, Kennesaw Mountain's basketball team was playing in the state tournament down at Georgia Tech. And he wanted to know if he could drive down to Atlanta to watch the game. He'd had his license a month. I hear parents out here. We talked about it and talked about it, and uh, he couldn't have someone ride with him, his, his buddy Sean. But the plan that they had hatched before they went to both sets of parents was that if we would let them drive down, they would each drive down in their own vehicle, but drive down together. I, I don't know what overcame us, but we said yes. And they did, and, and they got there fine. Uh, they, they rode down together, they parked, they got... Uh, to the Coliseum at Tech, they watched the game, and then we told we had driven down for the game. You know, the Conrad families can take six cars to transport four people. I, I don't know if some of y'all's families work that way, but it always seemed that way with us. Uh, Priscilla and I had driven down. We said, "Call us, um, you know, when when you get to this point on your way home." And we didn't hear from him and thought that we should have, but that's not unusual with 16-year-old boys. And then finally, we did get a call. And we said, well, are you to Canton Road yet? And he said, I don't think so. And I said, what do you mean you don't think so? He said, well, I just saw a sign for Greenville. I don't want to go to Greenville, do I? And I said, not if you're wanting to get to Kennesaw. We had trusted him to get around Kennesaw. We had trusted him to get into Atlanta. But on the way out, instead of taking 75 north, he took 85 north and realized he, was, he wasn't getting nowhere in a hurry. He was getting to the wrong place in a hurry. But when you're letting kids learn how to drive, you give them a little bit and you see how they do. He didn't get to drive back to Atlanta for a while. But as God gives us opportunities and we prove ourselves faithful and trustworthy in those opportunities, 
we find that more opportunities will come our way. That those who are trustworthy with worldly wealth will be given opportunities to prove themselves trustworthy with true riches. Think about that, folks. We want to talk about money and proving ourselves faithful with money. It's like God is saying to us, money is just practice. Let's see how you handle something little like money. And then we'll see if you can be trusted with the real stuff, with true riches. With the things that really matter. If we prove ourselves trustworthy with someone else's property. With someone else's stuff. then God can see if we can be trustworthy with our own stuff. By the way, this is a a point for me to offer a reminder that you hear me, if you've been here any length of time, I don't mind repeating it, everything that we have, everything that we have is God's. On loan to us. We are God's managers. The Bible word is steward. And God entrusts God's stuff to us that we would use it in accordance with His plans, with His wishes, remembering that it's His stuff to begin with. So we need to be careful not to get too proud and high and mighty about what we have, what we've earned, what we've accumulated. Because we all stand empty-handed before God. And God, in God's good grace, blesses us. You see, we've already been entrusted with somebody else's property. We've already been entrusted with someone else's stuff so how are we using it if the manager were to show up unexpectedly and said i gave you this this and this it may be money it may be possessions it may be an opportunity or a relationship What have you done with it? How have you used it? God has entrusted His stuff to us. We've already been entrusted with the riches of the kingdom. We we forget that, that as much as we are a part of this country and of this world, that even more importantly, we are a part of God's kingdom and kingdom work. And the riches of heaven are ours. The riches of the kingdom have been entrusted to us. What what will we do with them? How will we use them? Will we measure up faithfully? 
I had the privilege in seminary to, in my last semester, take a, the introduction to pastoral care class with Wayne Oates, who came back as a senior professor. And I'll never forget Dr. Oates saying, men and women talking to a class full of seminarians, don't ever forget that God does not judge us by a success standard, but by a faithfulness standard. Whether or not you have been successful is not as important as whether you have been faithful. You know, as we invest our lives in other people, sometimes they're going to disappoint us. Sometimes they're going to hurt us. Sometimes they may misuse us or the resources that we share. Success isn't up to us. We're simply called to be faithful. As our deacons handle our benevolence ministry, each call we receive, uh, they're confronted with the challenge of, of, is this someone that we can help? Is this someone that, that, to the best of our knowledge, truly needs our help? Is this a situation that we feel good about investing the church's resources in meeting this need? Some of them are super easy and you feel great about it. Some of them are really hard. And I'm glad to hear our deacons struggle sometimes. Whether their decision is yes to help or no, we can't help. They're faithful to consider the opportunity that's before them. And you know what? Every now and again, we find out we got taken. And you know what? That's okay. Because if we've been faithful, if we've been faithful, that's what God is interested in. And so for each of us, with the struggles that come our way, when we have to ask ourselves, is this a situation that I invest my resources in, my time, my energy, my money? Will I be faithful? Because you know, folks, some opportunities come once and don't come back. We don't get a second chance. But we are called simply to be faithful. Because as God entrusts us with small opportunities, and we prove ourselves faithful, He will trust us with greater opportunities. Jesus ends this passage by saying, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, King James and other older translations use that phrase mammon. Part of me, even though money is maybe the more accurate translation, I like mammon because it 
well, no, that doesn't sound right. I like mammon. Let's stop and think about that. The word mammon reminds us that it's greater than money. If we just limit it to money, we can let ourselves off the hook. Mammon isn't just money. It's about how we make our money, how we accumulate our money. It's about our attitude towards our money and our wealth and our possessions. It's about how we spend our money and our resources. It's about far more than just dollars and cents. And and that's where it is the, the love of money that becomes the root of all evils because we can't love God and love mammon. Our hearts are divided. And and God calls us to love Him with all that we are. With all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. Jesus says we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. And there's not room in that kind of love for us to be consumed with the love for this world and the things of this world. So we ask ourselves, am I gaining, (coughs) am I accumulating, am I earning my wealth, my money, my possessions, my stuff in a way that is pleasing to God? Am I spending it? Am I using it? Am I faithful to the opportunities before me? For you see, folks, God has called each of us to service. God calls us to faith in His Son, Jesus. And when we answer that call to faith, He calls each of us to service. Now, in the Baptist tradition, we've talked for a long time, maybe not as much recently as we should, We've talked about this idea of the priesthood of all believers, that we are all priests, meaning that each of us has equal access to God. You go to God directly. You don't have to have me pray for you. I do pray for you, but you can pray. You can talk to God. Each of us has equal access to God. But that also means that each of us has equal responsibilities before God. God has given me gifts and skills and experiences and has called me to use them in service to the church. And you know what? Each one of you has been gifted by God with spiritual gifts, with experiences, with talents, and each of you is just as accountable to God for the use of those gifts in service to the church and community. We share that calling. And each of us are called to be faithful for how we use those gifts, for how we use those opportunities. And folks, by the way, in a typical week, those of you in this room, those of you that are worshiping with us online, you're going to come in contact with a lot more people 
who need Jesus, then I probably will. So, so what will we do with those opportunities that we have? Each of us has been called by God to serve. And each of us has been equipped by God to do what He has called us to do. God is not going to call you to do something and not give you what you need to get it done. You know, we hear a lot of talk today about the supply chain being messed up. God's, God's supply chain is constant. Whatever God calls you to do, God's going to equip you to do it. Now, that may mean that sometimes you have to take a step of faith and do something that you didn't know you could do until you do it. And then you find out, oh wow, God had me ready for this and I didn't even know it. I, I, I've heard from so many people over the years, from some of you in this room, <coughs> you know, I didn't know that I could do that. And now I can't believe that I never did it before. I thought that this would be hard work, and sometimes it's hard, but I've found that it's renewing. I don't think people get burnt out in church when they're doing what God has called and equipped them to do. Because when you're doing what God has called and equipped you to do, it is renewing and re-energizing. Now people do get burnt out at church, and that's usually when they're doing stuff that they shouldn't be doing. They're doing stuff that somebody else should be doing. And they're trying to make up the slack. Or they're doing something that they, think they, that they think they ought to be doing instead of listening for what God wants them to do. But God has called each of us to service and He has equipped us for that service. And God will bless us as we serve. The blessing comes in the service the blessing comes as we are faithful in small things and we find ourselves being entrusted with greater opportunities. You don't have to worry. You don't have to worry about slaving away in something and God not noticing. God knows. I, I love the, the church comic where there's a little old lady in a rocking chair with uh, preschoolers hanging on her legs and all around her in a Sunday school class. And she said, yeah, Mary Alice called out sick and they asked me if I could fill in 42 years ago. And I'm still here. And God knows right where you are. And God will honor your service. So our challenge from this story of, of this shady character is to know that if, if, this, if this shady guy can be this faithful with the opportunity that he had, then as people of faith, how much more? How much more can you and I offer one another? Can we offer God? if we will be faithful to hear His voice, to answer His call, 
and to use the gifts that he's given us, the possessions, the opportunities, the relationships, that we might be faithful and trustworthy. Let's pray together. God, how we love you and thank you for your great love for us. God, I I am just so thankful today that you are a patient God. Most especially that you're patient with me. Lord, you have placed people in our lives, opportunities in our paths, and you simply ask us to be faithful. That our love for you might overwhelm our temptation to love the things of this world. God, help us to to devote our lives searching for true riches, for the riches of the kingdom that come from faithful obedience. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.